Blog Talk Radio. Hey you guys, welcome to the Steel Wars call-in show. I'm comedian Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars. And over the next 90 minutes, we will be taking your calls on all things Star Wars. A few people have asked me about what I'm talking about when I talk about the chat room. I'm not sure how well it works on mobile devices, but if you're on a desktop, The chat room is normally fairly lively. If you go to steelwars.com, there will be a link to Blog Talk Radio. And there where you listen live, you can chat with people. So that's I just wanted to uh, get that out of the way. A few people messaged me and said, where is this chat room? That's where it is on Blog Talk Radio while we're live. If you listen to this on demand on iTunes, don't go to the chat room. Don't do it. There'll be no one there unless you went to the chat room like a week later when the new show's broadcasting live and you could just comment along with last week's and just confuse everyone in the chat room. That'd be good. That would be good. And Emily Lind in the chat room confirms it works 0% of the time on mobile. I think it's a flash operated thing and, um, I don't, I don't think that there's been a day in my adult life where I haven't needed to update my Flash software. I'm not sure what that program is doing. I think I am being joined by right now, hopefully on the line. Let's get him off hold. He's a former guest of the traditional Steel Wars interview podcast. And we had such a good response to that Star Wars conversation. So he's here to talk a bit of Star Wars with you from the very popular Full of Sith podcast. I hope it's Brian. Hello. Brian, can you hear me this time? I can hear you. That is great. That's going to make the conversation so much better because it's a big thing that I've learned about communication. It's a two-way street, Brian. It really is. But for for a few moments in this podcast, it'll be a it'll be a three way street as we introduce guests. So, how's your Star Wars week been, Brian? Uh, it's been good. It's been nice to talk about this Force Friday stuff. Yeah, they they released much in the way of actual official product information. Um, not really. Most of what we've been seeing is the augmented reality stuff where we'll get to meet mm-hmm. people like Admiral Akbar and Porgs. You had me at Porgs. That, that's, uh, everybody's at, had at Porgs. I, so I saw that you posted up a frame grab or something. It was like you were actually next to Admiral Akbar in the app. How does this work? So what, uh, what, what happens is you're going to download the new StarWars.com app and there's a big download in there and you'll click on a box that says find the force and that opens up a camera for like a QR kind of thing. And so when you go to the stores where they sell Star Wars merchandise, they'll have these big Ray banners and she'll have this splatter mark behind her 
and that's like a QR code. And you aim your phone at that, and you get to interact and take photos and video with the 15 characters that they've got in that app. And just to clarify, one of those characters is Porgs. Uh, well, you can look at the Porgs now. The other characters you can't until Force Friday and that weekend, and they're releasing five a day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And uh, that's not going to be available yet. But Porgs are available now. So if you look at, like, uh, on the Full of Sith Facebook page, uh, we posted the QR code for the Porgs. Ooh. That is informative, and I have to admire your sweet sizzle of your Facebook page. That is slick. That's why you're one of the best in the game, Brian. We try. Let's hit a bit of news. I'm uh, getting this from the StarWarsUnderworld.com that uh, Michael K. Williams, who you guys might know, has uh, been scratched from the Han Solo because he can't come back for reshoots, he let drop in a Vanity Fair article that um, he was the link between Han Solo and Amelia Clark's character, Kira. Kira. And fandom erupted because Kira was uh, going to be or was Ray's codename during the production of uh, The Force Awakens. But also making Star Wars, those guys, that Jason Ward, he's chimed in and he's hearing it might be Kara, like with a U. But I, I don't think there's any, I don't think having the same name is uh, any indication that they're going to be related in any way because, you know, Mace Windu, he was uh, going to be used in Star Wars and all that sort of stuff. So I don't think we can take anything from that the uh, star wars show unveiled uh, two new first order vehicles which was pretty exciting there was the uh what are these vehicles called the atm6 which is the gorilla walker that has a sweet cannon on its neck one of the best places to have a cannon i am told and the dreadnought which is just a giant pancake of a Star Destroyer with a, uh, a big gun underneath. Both had been uh, rumoured on makingstarwars.net over the past few months, so that is some sweet action there. I have to bring this up. One of my favourite uh, people on, on Twitter, Justin Bolger, the Apex fan, he does social media at, uh, at Star Wars and all the at Star Wars around the internet for Lucasfilm. And people have been you know, there's been a bit of a fan reaction that there's now just a Star Destroyer, but it's bigger. And uh, he had a really good tweet that's not related to this at all. Not related to this at all. I just, I don't even know why I'm bringing them up at the same time. But he posted uh, two photos of uh, two aircraft characters, aircraft carriers through uh, human history, 97 years apart. And he said, really wish the Navy would stop rehashing old designs. It's been 97 years already, geez. Which has to be, I, there's no relation to the Dreadnought complaints, but that's uh, quite interesting. Quite interesting. 
What we're hoping to do with Brian is uh, he's very good with me with consoling me on my Star Wars grievances. So if you want to talk any of the, uh, the week's news or any sort of Star Wars stuff, that is fine. But it'd be fun if you've got a, a long-running Star Wars grievance. Brian has a good way of massaging them out of you, getting rid of that, that tight Star Wars tension. And what, what did you think of the, the Gorilla Walker and the Dreadnought reveal? Oh, I'm really excited about that. Uh, the ATM-6, which is the coolest name, the All-Terrain Mega Caliber 6, sounds like <laughs> something my 13-year-old self would would put together. And the idea that it's going to use those big gorilla arms to either kneel down and obliterate troops on the ground or beat some ships into submission makes me very excited. What? Say it again. Is it Melek... Mega caliber, mega, mega caliber six. Yeah, mega caliber six. If I can learn to pronounce that a bit smoothly, that could be the name of my firstborn child. You know, that could be. You could call him M six for short. It's like a droid, really. Maggie, come here, Maggie. Come see Papa. Come see Papa, Maggie. Yeah, that'd be great. I was reading. Um, they had a, a bit of an article on uh, the official size. And Kevin Jenkins, uh, one of the, the concept artists, he was saying it's got that, that stiff front leg. So it, like, it was like a design change after uh, the snow speeders tipped up the adats on Hoth. So it's a progression of the design. I, I can only imagine Kylo Ren kind of getting involved in that uh, process and saying, like, this is what happened the last time my uncle got near one of these. Here's how we <laughs> fix it. <laughs> I wish I had an uncle that tripped over Adats. I feel really disappointed with my family, with my uncles now. Although, yeah, I don't think my nieces are that impressed with me as an uncle. They, 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 they think my profession is equivalent to that of a clown. And um, I'm sure you're terribly disappointing to them. Oh, come on. Come on. It's, it's all right when I'm no, self-depreciating. Clowns, clowns are great. That's how, that's how Jar Jar ended up, and I really respect and admire him. Nice. What did you think about that little interlude in the Chuck Windegg book about, about Jar Jar? It was, it was heartbreaking a little bit, right? Uh, Jar Jar is sort of – whatever your feelings about Jar Jar, he's the most loyal and honest and sort of – good-hearted character there is in Star Wars. And so for him to sort of feel the weight of the responsibility, knowing that he handed Palpatine the keys to create the Empire and that he's going to make children who are refugees feel like they have a place to be because he never had a place to be, is it's so sad and sweet that it's, it's the perfect sort of retirement I would expect for a character like that. Interesting. I, I don't know. I, I sort of, I don't know. There was some weird, I just got a weird vibe off that interlude. Like it was sort of, I don't know. I, I, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not the Jar Jar fan you are by any stretch of the imagination, Brian, but I, don't know, I, I thought it was, I, I thought it was um, a bit, you know, a bit in check or a bit going or I don't know. There was something, there was something about the tone of it didn't sit right. Am I onto something there or am I, uh, have I got my tinfoil hat on today? 
I think mileage varies, especially when you're talking with a character uh, about a character as contentious as Jar Jar, that that people's mileage would vary. I talked to a lot of Jar Jar fans who hated it, who felt that it disrespected the character, and other Jar Jar fans uh, like me who thought it was very fitting, and other people who disliked Jar Jar and thought it was sort of a big middle finger to him from their perspective that they wanted to give him. And and some people just didn't care for it at all, and other people just dislike Chuck Wendig. So there's a lot of different ways to read it, and I don't think any of them are necessarily wrong since it's all subjective, but, uh, you know, clearly I'm right. <laughs> all right. For those that just got started on the first Aftermath book and – you know, I, I read a few people online had sort of dropped out, you know, midway through that book or, you know, maybe weren't feeling it. Maybe the the, the hopes were too high for uh, the new canon adventures. That was our first taste of it. But those, the second and third book really, really stepped it up, I thought. The, the, the third one in particular, I was, I was quite caught up in. How, how did you find the, the, the second half of the, the trilogy? You know, I really, I really liked it. The second one was very much like the Manchurian Candidate with Wookiees, which kind of pushes all my, my film nerd buttons. And, you know, being able to see the liberation of Kashyyyk was exciting. Um, and then the third book, Wendig really got into some of that political intrigue I really liked and was able to craft a space battle that I thought was pretty stunning. That maneuver where they dragged that Star Destroyer down to the planet was incredible and just a really great climax. And then all of the political maneuvering with Singer and Mon Mothma, I, I think it was a really great tie-up to the trilogy with a bunch of characters that I didn't know I would like as much as I did. Yeah, I found the, 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 that the moment with Sinjir, there's a, an emotional moment towards the end of the third book that I got quite caught up in. I thought I yeah. thought it was uh, it was really nice. Same but, with Mr. Uh, Bones. Ah, oh, yeah, Mr. Bones got me as well. I um, are, are you a reader or a listener? I'm a reader. Um, okay, because... The audiobooks go too slow for me, so I have to I have to read them. Okay, I, because I don't have much sort of downtime to sit. I, I'm a listener. And I was, so you obviously feel for Mr. Bones. I was wondering whether, because the voice they do in the audio book, it's so compelling. It's a, it's a really fun original voice. So I wasn't sure whether like my appreciation would be there for Mr. Bones if I was just reading the book, but uh, you're, you're down for the bones. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, reading them, I could hear Matthew Wood over my shoulder, really. <laughs> um, you know, because I mean, we've got Matthew Wood as the the droids for so long through Clone Wars, and um, the voice I kind of gave Mister Bones, sort of in retrospect, was pretty much exactly what he's doing with Roger on the Freemaker Adventures, but with more aggression and murder in his voice. Yeah, that that is uh, I, I I love it so much. Have you heard the audiobook version of it? I haven't. I should check it out though. I've got it on my Audible account. Yeah, you should um, my just son see, uh, listens to all of them there. You should see if it uh, 
it matches up with what you thought. I think you might be uh, closer than you think. Now, I have invited the listeners because one thing I really enjoyed when we did the full-length Steel Wars interview was I, I like the way you're, you can massage my Star Wars grievances. I really appreciate that. Whether I agree with the outcome, sometimes I feel like you do it to me and then I'm like, yeah, I feel good about it. And then later on I'm like, oh, hang on. Nah, nah, he, he yeah. it was, he just, the tone in his voice mesmerized me. So, <laughs> so I've invited the listeners to do that. So people can call in on uh, 646-668-8360. If you're listening live, at top of the stream, there'll be that number. If you're on Skype, if you're international out of America, just add a plus one to that. But let's go to our first caller. We, we like to hit some of the Patreons first. So let's go to Katie, who's in New Jersey. Or have I said the wrong one? No, you're right. Yeah, you're right. How's it? I got it right and you're disappointed. Um, because uh, we, we went over this. I hate Jersey, but it's okay because I'm moving. <laughs> Do you want Brian to uh, give you some geographical therapy? Um, no, I think I handled it. It's fine. Thanks, though. All right. Well, uh, I, I love your episode you just did on the Cantina cast with uh, a you. bit of a bit of conspiracy Snoke theorizing. Yeah, I mean, it is documented history, but technically it does fall under conspiracy theories, yeah. Very interesting. So, uh, yeah, check out that episode of the Cantina cast. And uh, what's on your mind this evening? Um, okay, first and foremost, I have to fangirl for two seconds the fact that um, Brian's on the phone, because I literally, <laughs> like, probably weekly for an excuse to talk about Satine, I'm like, hey, you have to go to this episode of Steel Wars and listen to, like, the best pitch for an Obi-Wan movie ever because it involves the teen. <laughs> so, thanks for your, your plot, Brian. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. I will talk about wanting a movie with Obi-Wan and Satine until uh, <laughs> they steal my last breath. Amazing. Um, and then, so I listened to your episode, the Bereznikin one today, which is amazing. Um and this isn't really Thank a you. grievance. It's kind of a grievance. But he brought up something that I really want to hear your thoughts on. Um, and it's this concept in Star Wars of, like, the choose your own path, and if you can. And he said that Star Wars tells you that you can. And this is, I guess, one of my favorite topics. But um, because I just, like, I, I don't disagree with this. I mean, I attached to Luke Skywalker and Return of the Jedi when I was younger because of, you know, the scene where he throws his lightsaber down and basically, you know, renounces the Emperor, says, you know, that that wasn't his destiny. But I'm, I'm not convinced that you can necessarily choose your own path. Um, like in the Mortis arc, and I know people have huge issues with it, um, but this is obviously, you know, showing Anakin had this very laid out path for him that ended up happening, um, and now he technically, like, under one interpretation, I guess he diverted from it by saving Luke, but then, you know, by saving Luke, Luke, this is basically just taking him theoretically off of that, that Mortis arc and then putting him back on that chosen one path, um, and then they could have been the same, like, that's all for, you know, interpretation, but the point is, is I don't think 
that the whole concept of the chosen one, which I know you two got into, and that was really cool hearing his interpretation of it. Um, but I, I don't think that the two that, that the chosen one path can exist alongside free will at the same time, since being the chosen one is basically your arc is automatically predetermined. And I don't think Anakin ever made one decision that wasn't already decided, not necessarily by Palpatine, but more so by the Force. And I have a lot of issues with, like, the Force and, and the Chosen One and how it ends with the Sith, apparently. But then we have Snoke, who just very blatantly uses Vader's iconography to, like, shun all attachments now and all free will. And he's very vocal about it, especially with Kylo. And I have a lot of thoughts on that, but that's, like, a rant and a half. But, um, but I think in, in The Last Jedi, we're going to see this kind of breakdown of choosing your own path in Star Wars, kind of like what the prequel trilogy did with the good versus evil. I mean, if you just watch the OT, it's like, yeah, awesome Jedi. But then after you watch the prequels, it's like, I still side with the Jedi because I'm going to cringe a little bit while I do it. I mean, I, and I, I'm not a big Jedi Council fan. I actually agree more with the Sith Code. I just hate their execution of it. Uh, but it, again, it, you know, it, it blurs all those lines, right? So I think that Luke rejecting the Jedi is more him rejecting what he finds out about the Force and kind of this whole concept of can you choose your own path? I don't know. So... Um, yeah, it's really interesting to hear your thoughts on the whole, like, can you choose your own path in Star Wars, and does that even exist? Can, can I just congratulate you for easily having the longest question in podcast history? That was oh, yeah. an amazing monologue, Katie. <laughs> sorry. Not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was great. Brian, I, um, I am in over my head on this one. Help us out. So I think there's a few things to think about right off the bat. One, um, I think Anakin did choose on Mortis against the prophecy, right? He was told that he had to stay on Mortis and replace the father and chose not to and went dark to do that. But I think the Jedi Council got way too hung up on the prophecy. And if you look through the prequel trilogy, they're really clinging to the prophecy. Then by the time Revenge of the Sith happens... Yoda's like, maybe we misread this prophecy. Then by the time of Empire Strikes Back, you've got Yoda saying, like, always in motion is the future. So you've got this certainty that everybody feels that they have in the prequel trilogy, and that certainty gets looser and looser as the films go. And, and that's why I, I think that Luke made a very specific choice to let Han die. Because Luke... Luke heard, like, the entire, like, all of Empire Strikes Back was predicated on the fact that Luke could feel Han's demise or his pain and Leia's pain before it even happened half a galaxy away. So for his best friend and, and the pain that it would cause his sister for his best friend to die, he had to have felt that and still did nothing. And. Mm-hmm that seems like a pretty big choice. And so I think the lesson the prequels were supposed to teach us is like, don't put stock in those prophecies. And the fact that people still do is the problem that gets them into that, that, uh, that mindset where it's like, am I, do I have free will? Like the second you start questioning that you have free will and think everything's predetermined, that's what's leading you to the dark side. That was exactly Anakin's problem. Anakin's problem was like, I envisioned that you're going to die 
because of your pregnancy and I'm going to do everything I can with my agency to prevent that, which really caused it. But if he would have stopped and, and done what the Jedi counseled him to do, that would have never been able to happen. Luke did the same thing with uh, the visions of Han and Leia and leaving Dagobah to save them. (laughs) But uh, he made all those choices, but he was able to make that final choice against Palpatine with the lightsaber. So I think, I I think the Jedi over the course of the movies learned that those prophecies are garbage. But then like, why would then Luke be on this? Well, Ben was the chosen one. Like, why would he bring it back? If I agree with you, like he himself to this point until we get evidence. Otherwise, like that decision at the end of return of the Jedi is basically like the embodiment of free will in star Wars. However, if he finds out that, Maybe that the Emperor was right. He was always supposed to go towards the dark side, but maybe he's trying to, like, pull it back through using his nephew to, like, no, we're not going to have this happen. Or some, I'm just confused. And, and, again, I know a lot of people have said this, but then why would Luke have been hung up on that? If, if that's even if we're supposed to interpret Mark's words that way. But I, I think, think what you I think, oh, I think what you're confusing is... Thanks. Um, sorry, Brian. Um I think what we're confusing I, I think what we're confusing is the interpretation of actor Mark Hamill who plays Luke Skywalker with like the like the prequel reference that I don't think that actor Mark Hamill meant to make. Like uh-huh. I, I, as Bre- as Bresnikan explained on that in the interview um on the new podcast it's more that Luke Skywalker thought this was the star pupil, like that, that could be the new, you know, sort of the leader of the pack rather than the chosen one. Like he, I think Mark Hamill was just using the chosen one as, as a flippant comment more than a star Wars reference. And cause I don't, I don't, you know, maybe he's got all these old books, but then you'd think that he wouldn't have found that. Oh, it'd be interesting to know what Luke found out about the Jedi between Return of the Jedi and setting up that academy. Let's get a cartoon series about that. Like, I wonder if Luke Skywalker even knows about the prophecy of the Chosen One. Well, presumably he would have had access to Yoda and Obi-Wan's spirit, as well as Anakin's, to, to talk about that on during his solitude and during his creation of his Academy of Jedi um, because he has access to them. But I really think if you look at what's going on with Yoda through rebels and how he's talking about uh, when he came in that vision to Ezra and said, like how we win is just as important as winning where you see that the philosophy of the Jedi evolving to the point where it's like nonviolence is absolutely the answer. So after Kylo kills that whole like he puts all of his stock at retraining the jedi and then ben turns on him and kills them all he is devastated and opts out but realizes that if he reacts he's creating these ripples and perpetrating the violence and starting the cycle over which was what happened with the jedi and the sith for thousands of years and i think that's the kind of stuff he's learning from them right like i think we have we have some similarities in, in that they're going to uh, the first Jedi temple 
and in Rebels they're going to Malachor, and that's where Yoda sends them to end all of this. Um, so I, I think Luke is really more focused on ending that cycle of violence, and if there are no Jedi, you can't have revenge against them. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. I'm just wondering, because I also want to know, because there's also that, that puzzle piece that we don't know about what Ben and Luke were doing during Bloodline, that I think maybe yeah. play into that, because I don't think he had everything figured out. Even I, I, I still like also think that he had to know that what Ben was doing was coming, and maybe he didn't, but... I just, like, if, if you don't want the Jedi to be there, then who's going to, like, what's the difference between, like, Rey not as a Jedi, or even, like, Ahsoka, who, you know, doesn't really associate as a Jedi, between somebody like that, who's aligned on the same principles, just doesn't necessarily get into, like, an organization and do it. What's the difference between them existing and then fighting, for example, the First Order, and then the Jedi existing? And I know that goes deeper into a lot of the lore, and I, I don't always agree with the Jedi, so I, I'm not necessarily fully against this, but I'm just wondering what on the surface is the difference. Well, I think Luke is is fashioning his teachings over specifically Jedi teachings, where Ahsoka said yeah. the Jedi were problematic, and here's where they went wrong, and yeah. Luke wanted to recreate what he could have of the good parts of the Jedi and take that name. I think I like, it's like calling yourself like a Protestant versus a Catholic. You know what I mean? It's like the, the generalities are the same, but we're going to go about things in in a little bit of a different way. And the power structure is going to be a little different. Yeah. But I mean, but at the end of the day, and I know this is entirely up for interpretation, but they still more or less get to the same end game. But I, I mean, and again, I, I know that, I'm, I'm not, like, the biggest Yoda fan, but, um, no, yeah, I see what you're saying, but, well, you do really help with these resources. Damn. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that one now. You, you just got swankmatroned. <laughs> if, if they would... If they would, if if Lucasfilm would hire me to do this for a living, and I would just go from fan group to fan group and do this, uh, <laughs> I would be more than happy to. But tw- yeah. but Twitter wouldn't be as fun. <laughs> no, I, I'm sure I'd still do it on Twitter too. <laughs> you should have a thing at Celebration, Brian, like a little booth, like a Star Wars confessional, and people can come in, and it's all anonymous. And they can confess their darkest Star Wars grievances and sins, and you can absolve them of them. We should we should do this as a panel at the next celebration. Just like <laughs> bring your Star Wars problems in. You got anything else, Katie? <laughs> um, no, I told you, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to, to to deeply rethink my entire issue now. So. No, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. Wow. She was lost, but now she's been found. Um, Thanks so much for calling in, Katie. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Remember, Brian, when um, we were walking and then there was only 
I was struggling my hardest through my fandom and there was only one set of footsteps. Where were you, Brian? Where were you? I was carrying you. <laughs> I love it. So uh, here's how it's going to go down. The show goes for 90 minutes. We do the complete 90 live and then archive the second half for the Patreon Content Club members and iTunes listeners. You get on demand like 45, 50 minutes. And if you want to hear the full episode as well as the numerous Normally, uh, two or three bonus shows a week. You can join the Steel Wars Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Steel Wars. It's $3 a month to get a group of bonus content and all our classic episodes. Let's go to another Patreon contributor in Columbus, Ohio. It's King Tom. What's on your mind, buddy? Hey, Steele and Brian. Thanks for taking my call. I am uh, standing right next to an aluminum pole because I am ready to air a grievance or two. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's your Festivus. Come early. Festivus came yeah. early. Yeah, it's a little, a little bit early. I'm going to start off. I, I love the prequels, but I do have a problem with the way that uh, George told the story in them. I feel like overall... They, even though he had a number of years, a decade to, you know, jot down notes, I, I feel like they weren't planned out well enough. I think you could have had characters like Dooku and Grievous introduced a movie earlier. And I think there were just other concepts that could have been carried through. But it felt like, you know, he, he wrote them at the last minute, not really episode one, um, but two and three he wrote at the last minute. And it just felt like there was there was nothing that flowed between the three. My, that's my, my first issue. My second issue was that in story the storytelling, George had a lot of great concepts that were absolute genius, but they were buried as subtext or parts were excised from the movie and you didn't get it. Some examples being that, you know, in the um, episode one opening crawl, it says the Chancellor secretly dispatches two Jedi to handle the conflict of Naboo. The reason he had to do it secretly was because, and this isn't in the movie, this is in the supporting material, but he, wa- he didn't have the power to dispatch them. You know, there was a big political conflict. The Senate didn't trust them. There were reports, of, you know, the baseless corruption. This was one of the examples of that. Another just example of this subtext I'm talking about is, you know, we hear that Qui-Gon is a maverick and a different kind of Jedi. You don't see why unless you're paying careful attention because he's the only person that treats Jar Jar with any respect or, you know, he treats Anakin with compassion. You know, he gets down on his level when talking to him, when everyone else treats him like this stupid little kid. And those are just two examples, and I could probably go on with even more, but I was wondering what your feeling uh, was on that, Brian, those, those two issues. Um, just because, you know, like I said, I love the prequels, but these are just some things that get stuck in my head when I think about them too much. Well, to take your first part with, with the, the smoothness of ideas, I think George Lucas was actually asking us to invest 
more in the movie rather than, or more in the movies as a whole <laughs> than uh, where A New Hope, he knew he had a standalone, but with the prequels, he knew he had all three movies right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And with Dooku and Grievous and Maul specifically, the way I looked at it was that Maul and Dooku and Grievous were all different aspects, shards of Darth Vader's ultimate personality, right? Mm-hmm. Where Maul was the attack dog. He was the, the physical embodiment of what, what Vader was. And Dooku was the political savvy. And Grievous was sort of the kind of mix between the two, but half more machine than, than sentient. And Palpatine mm-hmm. was just cherry-picking all of these things and saying, these are all of the qualities I want in my apprentice. And as Anakin kept growing, he realized that these, he had all of these qualities. He could have all of these qualities. And so Maul and Dooku and Grievous are all there to serve, to make Vader a bigger badass. Because mm-hmm. he's all of them. He accomplishes the things that they all do. And... Starting with Phantom Menace and seeing how you can take a little kid with the best of intentions and turn them into the synthesis of Maul and Dooku and Grievous is terrifying. Um, you know, it's, it's Hitler Youth kind of stuff. Like, he doesn't well, even absolutely. know he's doing bad things. Right. Absolutely. But, and, but this is kind of what I'm also talking about with the, the subtext issue. You know, both of those characters... Dooku and Grievous underwent transformations that we heard about in supporting material. What if you had introduced Dooku in episode one as a respected member of the Jedi council? And then, you know, 10 years later in the second movie, he's, you know, he's rebelling against the council. Or if in attack of the clones, you had general Grievous as a, you know, flesh and blood general leading against the Jedi. And then three years later, next time you see him, he's more machine than man. I think if he had done something like that... But then the argument is like, well, then why didn't he do that with Palpatine in the classic trilogy, right? I think one Mm -hmm. of the things that Star Wars has always done best is drop a lot of information that sounds like it has a lot of context that doesn't quite make sense the first time you watch it. Like, think about a 1977 audience watching A New Hope and and Tarkin comes in and says, we've just dissolved the Senate, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. what the hell does that mean? I don't know. Should we have seen that? Is that important? I'm not sure, but the stakes seem pretty high. Um, Mm. And I think Dooku got the same treatment when, and and I think it's a really interesting scene in Palpatine's office where Padme's accusing Dooku of it. And Mace Windu says flat out, like he used to be a Jedi. Like he wouldn't assassinate anyone. It's not in his character. How naive that is that naivete explains his character very well and we're left to suspect that he's a good person because of the Jedi naivete. So I think the reveal of Dooku actually being a bad guy, it's hard to divorce all of the supporting material, the toys. Like I didn't know until the the attack of the clones equivalent of force Friday, that Dooku was a Sith Lord called Tyranny. Mm -hmm. Right, which was a huge spoiler. Right. But if you try to watch Attack of the Clones not knowing that, he's in mm-hmm. earnest. Like when he goes to Obi Wan and tells him the truth about everything. Right, it's not until that scene where he's getting away and pulls out his lightsaber and it's it's red for the first time that we we truly understand that he's a Sith Lord. 
Um, mm-hmm. And we don't even know for sure until pa- Palpatine just sort of, or Sidious just sort of drops casually like, welcome home, Lord Tyrannus. And then we have to pick up those threads in, in Attack of the Clones. I think they're much more carefully constructed than sometimes we give them credit for. And, and George Lucas is famous for that style of storytelling where it's just like, here's a bu- bunch of in- information you don't know what it's going to mean now, and maybe it'll mean more later. But uh, as you go back and examine those threads, they're still there. Mm-hmm. Just when you were going through that, Brian, I, I, I thought of a way to totally twist A New Hope and, 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 and maybe make it a little bit better. But when Tarkin says that the Emperor has just dissolved the Senate, if he then added to that sentence, in acid... <laughs> that, that, but then we'd have lost Bail Organa. Well, we, I guess we were going to lose him in a few minutes anyway. Well, he was on. He was on. Yeah, you're going to go, buddy. Yeah, yeah. That that would have been that would have been interesting. And and we could have had a book that discovered that 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 we lost them in acid. But I think <laughs> the the subtext of the movies, the prequel movies, is really inter- Like that's where I kind of like that's that's where I live is where the subtext of the prequels and the subtext of the original trilogy mesh and match. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I have a hard time like saying like George Lucas rushed through these stories because there's so much symmetry with what happens, whether that's uh, Skywalkers going against the orders of their masters and ending up on Tatooine and murdering a bunch of people uh, to mm-hmm. save people they love or, or what, like the rhyming schemes of it, makes so much sense, you know, and, and although um, I'm not sure there's as much, uh, maybe, maybe there's too much weight. A lot of people put into ring theory, but if you follow Mike Klimo on Instagram, like he has these things, these side-by-sides where it's like at a minute and 38 seconds in Phantom Menace and a minute and 38 seconds in, uh, or an hour and 38 minutes in, this movie and that movie, the exact same sort of thing happens with a shot that looks very similar, right? Like, um, whether that's the pod race versus the, uh, the speeder bike chase or whether that's, you know, my favorite is Jar Jar and the, the Chuba, right? Him stealing the food and getting into a fight and having a Skywalker intercede with a path, path of nonviolence the shots are beat for beat the same in return of the Jedi when Chewie goes to steal the Ewoks food and uh, the Ewoks wants to start a fight and a Skywalker intercedes to show them the path of nonviolence. And well, you know where, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, ring theory is great. And it's a great thing if you're looking at it as the saga or the original six as a whole, but I'm talking about, my, you know, my, my subtext concept for the individual movies or the tr- the trilogy itself, the prequel trilogy it's, itself, th- those telling those stories of those characters. But it's it's hard. Like, yes, I agree that films need to stand on their own, and I think for the most part, like the films do. But it's really hard, like the Marvel movies, right? Like I've had to stop looking at them as individual movies. They're episodes of a television series, right? Yeah. And at the point where yeah. George Lucas knows that he's going to be able to fill in all this material and that either people will read it or people will talk to people who have read it or that there's an answer for it somewhere in the, in the 
the supporting material, it's kind of something you have to give them because it's so baked into what Star Wars is, which is why I give J.J. Abrams a lot less flack than I probably feel like I should because I think the bigger sin of all of the movies is the way Hosnian Prime is handled in Force Awakens, right? We have no context for why that's a big deal. We don't care about Mm -hmm. that in any way. We don't care about Corsella, who gets that really wonderful, terrified close-up as the Starkiller base explosion like impacts the planet. But we have to go to the supporting material for that. And, and it's like, right. it's just part and parcel of what Star Wars is now. It's not just a cinematic experience. It's a transmedia experience. And that you can engage it on any level you want to. And, mm-hmm. and so I kind of feel like we have to grant some of that to it because that's by nature what Star Wars has become and has been since Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, but I think the prequels, you mentioned, you know, the idea of transmedia. They are much more, like you said, they're much more reliant on this other media. You know, the Revenge of the Sith novel is one of my favorite books, and that tells the story much better than the movie did. And, Mm -hmm. but like you said, it, it, you know, ever after Return of the Jedi, that's been the way and that that was a great example with the force awakens you know with blowing up the main system of, or the main planet of the galaxy yeah like mm-hmm. and that's and that's just that's a feature of star wars not a bug yeah it became one i guess yeah well and that's i mean george lucas is the sort of person uh, i got to interview him once for strange magic which wasn't a great film but it was a really interesting example in how his mind works where he wanted to just challenge himself. Right. So he went mm-hmm. out of his way to craft a story using pre-existing song lyrics that he could get the rights to and tell a fairy tale in the way he wanted to tell it. He spent years tinkering on it. And for him, mm-hmm. he was saying like, it was just an interesting puzzle. I wanted to teach myself how to do, how to put a film together this way. And when you look at, probably where he was at with Phantom Menace, it's like, here's how we're going to do it. And here's how I'm going to challenge myself in a way that, that seemed natural and obvious, you know, like, Oh, of course he's going to have the books and he's going to have this. And then maybe we'll get clone wars later. But to him, it was just, it's one smaller piece into this larger puzzle of the saga. And, and it's just, it's him being smarter than all of us, to be honest the way he can put put all those pieces together and 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 man some of the filmmaking in the prequels is as good or better than any of the stuff in the original trilogy whether that's little shots or bits of of silent filmmaking right like think about the pod race where anakin is cooling his engines none of us have seen what the hell a pod race is we don't know how pod racers work we don't know what the physics of them are but as he's just flipping buttons and the sound design is coming together, we're watching him put out fires on these turbo engines going 700 miles an hour. And that's not something that's easily communicated to an audience who has no idea what the hell it is they're looking at. And that he's able to communicate those stories is it's like, a, like, I don't know, like I watch Transformers movies and I have no idea what the hell's going on. It's just bits of digital stuff hitting each other. And and so I, I I just think that there's there's so much more going on that maybe we don't that we we don't give it credit where it's due for those as much as as maybe we should. 
Yeah, but that's, I think a lot of that is collaborative stuff where you have ILM and Ben Burt and other people working with him where the story was just him with no one else. And, yeah, you know, I think for, that, wait, yeah, you have to give him you have to give him credit and deficit for the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? You, right. I, I think it's unfair to go the stories like this. Oh, but that 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 scene setting up the pod races were good. Oh, that wasn't him. Like he's still he's still the director of the film. So he's, well, and, you know and, I mean? but, in fairness to Lucas, I mean ILM did all the same. They did all the same work for Transformers. <laughs> okay. Um, that's uh, checkmate. I, I think for the, the the second and the third prequel, it is kind of fact that he was, you know, handing in those those script pages pretty late. Like we we never got that, you know, at the annotated but, um, screenplay, but the different sort of versions, but, and mean, it didn't seem like it, 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 it. He really sort of went through different. Um, like versions of the script. But if you go through and look at like the Reven- the return of the Jedi novelization, the fight on Mustafar is in there. It's not called Mustafar, but we all knew from the time from 83 on that there was a fight with Obi-Wan and, and Vader on a lava planet. You know what I mean? It's like, mm. um, you know, with, with Phantom Menace, the midi-chlorians, that's something that appeared in the, like a 1975 draft of the screenplay. Uh, Dooku was a name that, that showed up in there. A lot of these planets that we'd seen and, and environments that we'd seen had shown up there and, and the way the Senate worked or things or the way the Jedi worked, these were all things that he'd been working on since 1975. So him handing in the precise script pages at the end, you know, Rogue One was going through the same. I mean, Rogue One was already through one round of shooting and they thought they had a movie before they started adding more script pages. And, and, you know, you hear people like Doug Chang talk about how they've got this blue sky development where there is that collaborative form. So I don't necessarily think that George Lucas created those stories in a vacuum because he'd go in and say, hey, we need some lava planet and we need this and we need that. Show me what you have. Show me what ideas you have visually. And then he would go and write to these. So um, and, and that's the way ILM works uh, to the exclusion of just about every other film studio, you know, Pixar might be the only other one that works that way. So there, there is more of that back and forth between the artists and Lucas than, than I think maybe people realize. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Tom, that was uh, another great call. Uh, with, I'm, I'm Thank very you. impressed. Very impressed with the, uh, the level of calls this evening. Very good. But, we're about to go into bonus time for supporters. So I will uh, say goodbye to you, Tom, and I'll talk to you next week. Okay. Thanks, Phil. Cheers. So, uh, yeah, we will, uh, for those in the Patreon content club, continue the podcast. Uh, we've got about another 35 minutes. We've got a bunch more calls. We've got the notorious Robbo. He's waiting to go. I cannot wait to hear what he's got for uh, Brian Young to massage through. That is going to be a battle of the Star Wars minds in the bonus show. I also want to talk to Brian about ring theory and a bit on free will. But before we cut off to the bonus section, Brian, you are one of the co-hosts of one of the 
I guess, leading podcasts in Star Wars fandom, Full of Sith. Tell the internet where they can find it. So Full of Sith is at uh, anywhere you can download podcasts, and you can find it at fullofsith.com. And we've got a Twitter and a Facebook, all Full of Sith, exactly like that pun. Sounds like it would be spelled. <laughs> Excellent. I like I like an honest pun. Also, if you're looking for some other podcast action, we've got our 90-minute chat with Anthony Bresnikan going through his EW article with some great behind-the-scenes stories with his interviews with Ryan Johnson and Mark Hamill and Daisy Ridley and a new podcast on iTunes with a couple of regular Steel Wars callers. We've got uh, the Canto Bite Dispatch and that's with downtown Brittany Brown from San Diego and Emily Lind in New York and I know Brittany's going to be in the bonus section she's got a question for Brian so check that out on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts that's the Canto Bite Dispatch one of the first Last Jedi referenced podcasts that I've heard Brian have you got any other in your head, any Last Jedi referencing podcast names as yet? Or are they in uh, Not unless somebody started the pork cast. Oh, yes. Yeah. I think, that's, I think that, that's the idea that so many people had that no one can take it. It's one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I'm but, really um, excited to hear about Canto Bite myself. <laughs> oh, so am I. I love it. I love that dealer. I, I just love, that's such a great Star Wars thing. Just a just a little tiny dealer that's still in a uh, a tuxedo, wheel and chips. Yeah, yeah. I awesome. uh, I really can't wait. So you guys, if you're in to the bonus section, we will see you there. Otherwise, we will be back on the Colin Show next Friday night, and that will be a post Force Friday. So we'll be looking for your calls on how distribution was in your area. What stuff did you get? Were there big lines? Were they bigger than last year? Were they bigger than the year before? And did they have pogs? But until then, may that force be with you. And let's hit that bonus section. All righty, downtown Brittany Brown in San Diego. What is on your mind? So I'm, I'm a little late to this. So we're talking about Star Wars grievances, right? Yep, what you got? Okay, mine is kind of stupid, but it's about Han Solo in Return of the Jedi. It's kind of hard to explain. I don't like how they wrote Han Solo in Return of the Jedi because in the first two movies, you know, he's rebellious. He only cares about himself. And then all of a sudden he's frozen to carbonite and he comes out of carbonite and he's like, all right, I'm going to help the rebellion. I'm going to go on Endor and help everyone. It's like, that's not Han Solo, you know? Really? I I always thought the bit when he, just about when he, he was about to get frozen and he said, I know. I, I sort of thought that was his, like, that was when he snapped. That was when he, you know, his life was literally flashing before his eyes. Or he, it was freezing before his eyes. And that's when he, he gave himself to, to love and the rebellion. Brian, your thoughts? 
Well, I think it's an interesting question about whether or not he was conscious during his stay in Carbonite. And whether he was or not, I'm sure that he feels like he would be 